And uh, what a blessing, Lulu, don't make that your last song, okay? And uh, we'll be having some more coming here from her. And how long have you been playing the piano now, Lulu? Two years, okay? And we have a lot of young ladies that are learning how to play and, uh, and so going to be filling in shoes and helping out and training the next generation. That's such an encouragement. And so keep that up. Uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5. Let's stand as we read a portion of God's Word together. And uh, quick question, how many of you have memorized this? Okay, we've got hands. Let's see, hands of those that have memorized it. We get a few more all along. And so continue this. We, I'd love to see it here at the point. And uh, maybe we won't have to preach through this five years before all of you will be able to raise your hand. Uh, but let's uh, really work on this together and, uh, and try to get it uh, memorized. Matthew chapter 5, uh, help me read it together here tonight. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And again, back up to verse number 7. We'll be in this verse again tonight. Where the Bible reads, read it with me. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. All right, uh, let us with that go to the Lord in prayer and ask his help and guidance tonight. And you pray here tonight. Let's just take a moment of time to yield our hearts and to say, Lord, we want you to teach us tonight. And uh, maybe if in your heart there's anything that uh, would be a hindrance, would you confess that to the Lord now? Just ask his help uh, to be a good listener here this evening. Father, we thank you tonight. Again, already for meeting with us, you have been so gracious unto us. It's good to be in church. And Lord, thank you. Just uh, even this thought, I love church. I thank you that you've given us a church uh, to be able to come be a part of. Uh, Lord, I pray your, your help tonight as we preach, as we listen. Uh, Lord, we have such an important, important message tonight. And I'm thoroughly convinced that uh, here these next few messages are going to be such a key as to what you do with Valley Bible Baptist Church. And I pray that, uh, Lord, not only would we hear, but we would put into practice those things that you give unto us. And we pray this in the wonderful, precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. And as you're seated, again, look at verse number 7, where the Bible reads, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And here it's very clear that the way to be blessed is to be merciful, to learn to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. And the Bible says the way to obtain mercy is by granting mercy unto others. Now we spent our, our very first message on this uh, just looking at the fact that God is merciful. Uh, aren't you thankful here tonight that His love to His children is revealed in His grace and in His mercy? 
And if it were not for God's grace, you would never be saved, for by grace are you saved uh, through faith. And if it were not for God's mercy here tonight, you wouldn't be here tonight. God's been merciful to you. He's been merciful to you beyond your salvation. Now, a couple of scriptures. I want you to go back into the, God, uh, into the book of Psalms tonight. Um, uh, look with me, just a few verses here by way of introduction. In Psalm 103, Psalm 103 tonight. I love this psalm, and this psalm speaks of the wonderful, marvelous mercy of the Lord. Uh, psalm 103, speaking of the Lord's mercy, we read in verse 4, Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Would you be able to say that tonight? I could not tell you where I would be if it were not for the mercy of the Lord. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. I want to skip to verse number 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. And then in verse number 17, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children. It's an expression of the fact tonight that God is merciful to us. Now the principle is this, just as God has granted mercy to us, He expects us to grant that mercy unto others. I want you to turn now to the, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, and uh, we're going to, going to look at, at several thoughts tonight in this particular chapter. Matthew chapter 18, want to just read a couple of verses here, look in verse number 21, Matthew 18, verse number 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times. That sounds like a, a legitimate number, a legitimate question. Uh, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. So Jesus gave then a parable. And in this parable, he's expressing the importance of God's children extending the mercy of the Lord unto those that have wronged us. We conclude this parable, if you go to verse number 32. In verse 32, Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. So here the Lord in this parable is expressing to you and I the importance of extending His mercy, His compassion unto others maybe that have wronged us. Now I want to give a couple of introductory remarks tonight as we move through a couple of thoughts in this passage of Scripture. First of all, it's evident that relationships are very important to God. 
Relationships are very important to God. God is a relational being. God wants a relationship with you. And so He gave His Son to reconcile us to Himself. It was man that broke the fellowship with God. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God did that because a relationship with you is very important to God. And so God wants us to be in a relationship with Him, but then God wants us to be right in our relationship unto others. So God wants us to have a vertical relationship with Himself, and that vertical relationship with Himself will extend into a horizontal relationship with others. So relationships are very important to God. Now, second thought tonight, just introductory statement. Relationships are a revelation of our hearts. See, if we're right with God, that right relationship with God will carry over into our relationships with others. And so it's evident in this parable that God holds His children really to a higher standard than He does uh, to that of the world. Those that know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are held to a very high standard in this issue of our relationships. And so God is expecting us to seek with all of our might and power not only to be right with Him, but then to be right with others. Now, a third remark is that relationships are a testimony to others. Because God, or the world, we might say, looks at Christians. They're looking for something that is real, looking for something that is different. I've worked out of the world, and it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. It's a tough world to live in. And when you're working with lost men and lost women, and you're out in the lost world, it's pretty difficult at times in just dealing with relationships and people. But God expects something different of His children within a church. And others on the outside look to a church. They look to the relationships within a church and within the families of Christians. Jesus said to his disciples, the new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then Jesus said, by this, by your love one to another, shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. I believe that there ought to be a difference in the life of a Christian and the way we live our life at home and the way we live our life in church and the way we live at work and the, the relationship with God ought to make a difference. Relationship or a testimony to others. And often poor relationships within a church or within the families of Christians really hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many times lost will not turn to the Lord because they see nothing different in the life of a Christian. And that ought not be the case. There ought to be a tremendous difference because of what Jesus did for us. Now, number four, just introductory remark tonight. Because relationships within a church are within a family so important to God, and because it gives testimony with God, uh, those relationships should be biblically protected. And that's what we're going to get into, is how do you protect your relationships? What are the biblical principles that God gives to us? And remember the thought, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, wrong relationships grieve the Holy Spirit of God. 
In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 through 32, God says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be a kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. See, if we're not merciful to others as God has been merciful to us, then God is grieved. That's what the Bible is expressing. And one of the greatest hindrances to revival, to the working of God, is wrong relationships within local churches. Love the history of revivals, and many great movements of God really began when brothers and sisters within a church determined they wanted to be right with one another, whatever the cost was. And many times it began the, uh, the, really the movement, the power of God in a local church that spread to a community around it. And so wrong relationships grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Wrong relationships hinder our prayer life. Uh, back in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, in the context of the model prayer, Matthew 6, verse number 12, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then in verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. See, it's possible to be a child of God on the road to heaven, but to have the windows of heaven closed, to have your prayer life hindered. I remember reading the testimony of Mrs. Jonathan Goforth, had a very ill child, was praying to God for that child, that God would heal that child, and that child passed away. And Mrs. Goforth asked the Lord, Lord, what was it? What hindered? Why did you not hear my prayer? And the Lord reminded her of a relationship with a fellow missionary. And that relationship was wrong, and God so dealt with her heart because you were not willing to deal with that relationship with your fellow missionary, I could not hear that prayer. The windows of heaven were closed. And so our prayer life is hindered. The same thought, 1 Peter chapter 3. See, right relationships between husbands and wives is so crucial to our prayer life. In 1 Peter 3 verse 7, Likewise ye husbands shall dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life. And then God says that your prayers be not hindered. Now we're going to delve into Matthew chapter 18, such an important uh, thought and principle here. Uh, God gives direction for protecting our relationships so that we do not grieve God's spirit and so that we do not hinder our prayer life so that we can maintain a powerful testimony to a lost world around us. And again, this thought is contained, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. As we look at Matthew chapter 18, I want you to go all the way back to verse number 7, because we get the context here. In Matthew chapter 18, verse number 7, the, the first point that I want to make tonight is offenses will happen. In verse 7, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Luke chapter 17, verse number 1, Jesus expressed a very similar thought to his disciples, then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. If you haven't discovered it yet, we live in a sinful world. You are not going to escape in life 
being hurt by somebody. Somewhere, some point, in some way, people are going to fail you. You're going to get hurt. Somebody's going to let you down. That's a part of life. Uh, uh, you can't even go out and hide under a stone somewhere. Uh, somebody would probably accidentally throw a rock at that stone and hit you. Uh, fences are going to come. It's a part of life. You are not going to escape somewhere along the line. Somebody hurting you. Somebody doing something against you that's very painful. And by the way, your preacher is going to fail you somewhere along the line. Your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, they're going to fail you. Other church members are going to let you down. Now I've also got news for you. Not only is somebody going to fail you, but you are going to fail somebody else. Somewhere, somehow, you're going to let somebody down. I don't care how hard you try not to let somebody down. You're going to burn the cake someday. You're going to mess up somewhere. You're going to say something. You're going to do something. And it's going to hurt somebody along the line. Now, life would be easy, wouldn't it, if it were not for people? If you could live life all by yourself without people... I guarantee you that that would be a boring life and you would let yourself down somewhere along the line. You're going to hurt yourself. You'll trip and fall anyway. Uh, life, it would be easy. Uh, wars, hurts, broken hearts, disappointments. So the problem is most of the world doesn't understand the biblical path to reconciliation. And here's the problem so many times because God's people don't understand the biblical principles. We live just like the world. And we've grieved the Spirit of God. We've hindered the prayer life. Our prayers are not rising above the ceiling. We're not seeing the power of God. We're not seeing souls saved and lives changed. We're not seeing the mighty movement of God that God wants to give. And so often, it's because we've not followed the biblical path of reconciliation and dealing with God's Word. The Bible's filled with illustrations of offenses, broken relationships, started when Adam and Eve Sinned against God, broke the relationship with God. They were at enmity with God. Not long afterwards, we see two brothers, uh, Cain and Abel. We see Cain jealous of Abel. And then we see Cain taking the life of his brother Abel. Uh, Jesus spoke these words in context, speaking to his disciples. We know of the disciples. They walked with Jesus three and a half years, yet they hurt one another. James and John wanted a position of prominence in God's kingdom by Jesus at his right hand. And when the other apostles heard of that, they were offended. It hurt them deeply that James and John would try to undercut them. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, two godly men, had a misunderstanding concerning John Mark. Peter and Paul, great preachers, had contention over eating with the Gentiles. And Paul called Peter out publicly. Now Peter was humble and he dealt with that. In the book of Philippians chapter 4, Euodius and Syntyche had differences, misunderstandings in the church at Philippi. Two women within that church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, there were divisions in the church of Corinth. One said, I'm a Paul. Another said, I'm of Apollos. And there were divisions in that local church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, brothers within that local church were taking one another to court before unbelievers. And Paul was saying, it's better for you to suffer loss 
than to hurt the testimony of that local church before uh, the judge and before unbelievers. I remember reading the testimony of R.G. Letourneau. R.G. Letourneau was involved in a business deal with a fellow church member. And that fellow church member backed out of the business deal and it cost R.G. Letourneau a ton of money. And God began to deal with his heart that he had to forgive. This was a brother within the church and he did not want the testimony of that church to be hindered. So he ate that loss and it turned out God blessed him down the line and he made it up far beyond that. And so God's dealing with these relationships. Abraham and Lot. Their herdsmen had a contention amongst themselves. Uh, Joseph had troubles with his own brothers. Uh, Moses had problems with the brethren. Uh, David had to deal with troublemakers. See, offenses will happen in your life. It's a part of life in a sinful world. Uh, somebody's going to gossip about you. There will be misunderstandings, sometimes deep scars. I heard the testimony of a young lady that got saved and she went through sexual abuse. And can you even imagine this? Her own mother sold her as a little girl into prostitution. Some deep scars that this girl had to deal with. But God's grace was mighty and powerful. Uh, sometimes mockery or cheating or stealing. I, I'm just saying that contentions and offenses, because we live in a sinful world are going to come your way. You're not going to escape it. Now, how do we deal with it? Offenses will come. God says offenses should be confronted. How do you deal with them? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 18, in verse number 15, through verse number 20. God gives direction here to a local church. When these offenses come, this is how you deal with it. Again, God's people should be different in dealing with offenses. God gives us an outline for dealing with offenses. And the goal in this outline you're going to understand is always, always reconciliation. If God's way is followed, the Lord will be glorified even when relationships are very difficult in life. And they will be sometimes. Sometimes... I think God has a sense of humor. And sometimes God is going to put somebody in your life just to be a thorn to you. Okay, just to test you out, just to grow you in your walk with Him. It's going to happen. You say, well, I didn't know it was going to be my wife or my husband or my children or whatever. Uh, I'm joking with all of that. But uh, somebody is going to come along and going to be a thorn in your side. How do you deal with it? Verse 15, God tells us, and he gives us an outline. He says, moreover, if thy brother, I want you to notice this, thy brother. We're talking about Christian relationships. Can also, I believe, apply to family relationships. And let me just say that in church, if you do not learn this principle of mercy, you're not going to succeed and be a good Christian. And if you're in your home, you do not learn to forgive. Home must be built around forgiveness. Going to come times, husbands, you'll have to forgive your wives. And wives, you'll have to forgive your husbands. Going to come times in a church, you're going to have to forgive one another. So we're talking about a brother. And he says, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. Maybe he said something. He did something against you. It could be that you witnessed something that might destroy the testimony of the church. Might not have been necessarily against you, but you observed something that you know uh, hinders the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Uh, maybe something happened or maybe it did not happen. Maybe you received something that disappointed you. It hurt you somehow along the way. What do you do? Well, the Bible says, If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault. So often, we don't put that into practice. We wait. They wronged me, but they won't do anything about it. They know they wronged me. They need to come to me and make that right. What did the Lord say? He said, if your brother has offended you, go and tell him his fault. Now, I understand in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, he says, Leave therefore thy gift at the altar, go thy way first, be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift. And, and I don't believe the principle is there. If you've wronged somebody, you ought to be willing uh, to go to them. If somebody's wronged you, you ought to be willing to go to them. And see, there's a mutual uh, aspect of this. Uh, we ought to be willing and want to be right with one another in such a way we're willing to do whatever it takes to make it right. He says, go and tell him his fault. Now that doesn't always happen. They may not even know they hurt us. Do you realize that you ever hurt somebody, but you didn't even know you hurt them? It happens to all of us. Um, maybe pride stands in the way. Uh, we don't know. If something hurt us, we are obligated to go. I've seen people stew in bitterness over this. And not deal with it, but get more and more bitter all the time instead of just confronting the issue. I do believe it's given uh, that we should go in humility. We're not to go in pride. Uh, we should go with purpose, and the purpose ought to be that of reconciliation. Uh, I think we ought to be willing to fast, ought to be such that we want to be right, whatever the cost. And in going, we may discover that we misperceive. Do you ever misperceive something? I find that happens. Had somebody come to me and, and Pastor, you're upset with me. I wasn't. But you looked at me. Or you didn't look at me. Or you ignored me. And my problem is my head is somewhere in the clouds somewhere. And I can't even chew gum and think at the same time. And so there may be a misperception of the situation. And maybe we looked at a situation in a wrong way, or maybe something really happened. The Bible says, go and tell him his faults, but look at this, between thee and him. What does that say? Okay, read that. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him. What does it say? Alone. Okay, does that mean if I have a problem with somebody or if I perceive that somebody hurt me that I go and tell somebody else? No, I, I go to the individual alone. That does away with gossip. Never should we go to others first. It also protects reputations. See, a man in a, a former church perceived something about my pastor and he began to go to various members of the church and I was home one day. My wife and I home together one day and this man knocked at our door, and uh, he knocked after we invited him in, and he said, I, I came to let you know what our pastor's been doing. And, and immediately I looked at him and said, does the pastor know that you're here? And he said, no, I just thought that you should know about it. 
And the way I dealt with it at that time is I said, I want you to go to the pastor if you got a problem. And I went to the pastor, and I would not listen to the situation. But it's not just a pastor. That ought to be the case with anybody in the church. If somebody comes to you about somebody else, and you're not a part of the, the issue or part of the business, you got no business giving your ear to it. Okay, it's very important. See, churches can be destroyed when a biblical path is not followed. And I've witnessed homes destroyed when brothers and sisters talked about others or talked about their mates first, involved others, and the goal wasn't reconciliation. You look at the path that God gives, the goal should be reconciliation. That's God's principle. So that's step number one. You go alone and deal with it. Verse 16 is the second step. But if we will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. If the situation is not resolved in step one, and by the way, I believe so often when there is a spirit of humility in step number one, that reconciliation is most often accomplished there. But if it's not accomplished, if it's a serious matter, it's harming the testimony of the church, others should be included. He says one or two more. And again, the goal is not to destroy, it's not to ruin a reputation, but it's to bring reconciliation. And again, always, those who deal with the situation should do so in humility, after prayer, even after fasting. Important to involve spiritual-minded people. You're not to gang up against this individual. Uh, that's not the goal at all. It's never to gang up. And I think the reason being that you should take one or two more. It ought to be a spiritual person so that this matter can be established. Still, you may be wrong in pursuing this. And so bring with you some others. A proper judgment can be made. I've seen the Lord bring about true repentance when these steps were taken. Uh, that's as far as it needed to go. There was no gossip. That's as far as it needed to go. Uh, nobody else needed to be involved. There was no tr destruction. Uh, true repentance, true restoration taking place at that point. Verse number 17. Here's the third step. And if ye shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if you neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So it's continued. The goal is still reconciliation. The testimony of the church is at stake. In verse number 17, if they neglect to hear thee or hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man, as a publican. Uh, consider him, as the Bible is saying here, as a lost man at that point. Let me illustrate this for you biblically. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1, Paul to the church at Corinth, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Here the church, the testimony is being hindered. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife, his stepmother. And so he's involved in a relationship. And so in verse number 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together, he's speaking of the church and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He would not listen to an individual, would not listen to the two or three, has to come to the church and now the church has to deliver it. Consider him as a lost man. 
He said, verse 6, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. He's speaking of purity in the church. In verse number 11, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. He said, verse 13, but them that are without God judgeth, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. He would not repent. He would not be dealt with. Paul said you have to consider him then as a lost man. Now, we won't go there tonight, but you can write beside this 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 6 through 8. Because it's evident when Paul wrote the second epistle to the Corinthians, this church had listened to Paul. Uh, The guilty man repented, and God tells the church now that he's repented, receive him back. Receive him back into the fold. Uh, In the context, God has given great power to the local church. I want you to go back to verse number 18 of chapter 18. In verse number 18 of chapter 18, uh, Matthew chapter 18. See, God has given great power, and I think in this context we understand. He said, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And uh, so important this unity that God gives within the local church when sin and faults and offenses are properly dealt with. And I've seen churches follow these steps in a mean spirit, out of bitterness, seek to apply these principles, and really not reconciliation, but destroying lives and destroying the church. That's not the goal. But I've seen churches apply this with love. I've seen churches apply this with humility. Churches apply this with mourning, never gossiping, never seeking to destroy a reputation, never seeking to hurt somebody, but seeking a spirit of reconciliation. And there's tremendous power. When it's done properly. And so here we learn, number one, offenses will come. It's a part of life. Offenses should be confronted. But then the principle, and we're going to delve into this in the future deeper, but offenses should be forgiven. In that context, Peter asked the question in verse 21. Then came Peter to him. And said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? You see, Peter was listening. He saw where Jesus was going. He recognized what Jesus was asking of him. He realized this required forgiveness. And he says, if people are going to offend me, then I have to forgive them. That's what the Lord's saying. And surely seven times that would be enough. But then the Lord says in verse 22, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Uh, what the Lord's saying innumerable times. Jesus gives this parable illustrating the importance of forgiveness. In this parable, if you are saved tonight, God has forgiven you a great debt. God showed mercy to you. As God has forgiven us, we are to grant that forgiveness to others. And in the parable, the context, not to do so grieves God, It closes the windows of fellowship with God and it brings God's chastening hand upon our life. I believe many of God's children are facing God's chastening hand because they've not dealt with relationships properly. 
their willingness to live with broken relationships, they're willing to live in bitterness, willing to live in unforgiveness, willing to live in pride and hardness of heart, and the windows of heaven are closed. There's no power. There's no answer to prayer. There's no joy in the Christian life. No revival. And so in the context tonight, and I'm just going to close with this thought, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Offenses will come. Offenses must be confronted. And offenses should be forgiven in the context of our parable. Now let me just give this thought in closing. If you're going to have a home that is going to amount to anything, you're going to have to learn to forgive. There's going to be a time where your husband, wife's going to hurt you. And wives, there'll be a time, whichever way, you're going to hurt each other. It's going to happen in a home. And a home has to learn this principle of forgiveness. A church. You put people together, and Valley Bible Baptist, and I'm not preaching this tonight because of any specific thing that I'm aware of. I'm just preaching this. We're dealing with blessed the merciful. And I know people are people. And so as I preach this, I know it's going to be part of our life. So we've got to deal with it in a biblical fashion. But a church that's going to go forward and reach their community is going to have to learn this principle of forgiveness. Because we're going to hurt each other. We're people. We're going to do things that we wish we wouldn't have done. I have hurt people, and I didn't realize it. I've even hurt people, and I realized it. I've even hurt people, and I wanted to hurt people. That ever happened to you? God had to break my heart, and I had to confess that as wrong. And so we've had to deal with that. We're going to have to deal with it as a church and as people. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Let's bow our heads tonight.